Come on down Saturday, April 8th to the Axtrix Lounge at Danbury Arena for the first ever live episode of Hattrick City. We have some very special guests that you do not want to miss. Once again, come on down to the Axtrix Lounge on Saturday, April 8th for the first ever live episode of Hattrick City. Welcome to Hattrick City on WXCI 91.7, Danbury's only all-hockey radio show. I know that some in our audience don't know the finer points of hockey. You want me to dummy you again? Hattricks, baby! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Hattrick City. I'm your host, DJ Patty Cake. As always, joined by DJ Uncle Matt here in the studio. Got a few things to talk about before we jump in to the episode. Uh, firstly, Matt and I were able to go on a bus trip with the boys this weekend up to Elmira. Um, got that 6-2 win, and Matt was able to fill in as the EQ for that game. Uh, it was quite a scene to see. Um, walk us through it. I mean, you were... Holding the towels, filling the bottles, opening doors. Well, you know, at the last minute I saw it was a situation, you know, um, I don't know, you know, these dudes needed my help. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like we needed to get sticks on the bench and sometimes on these trips there's just there's just not enough, frankly, help for the guys. So it, listen, it was a good opportunity. Uh, for me, I got a pair of rubber gloves from the opposing equipment manager, and I just kind of went to work with the water bottles. And uh, Johnny Ruiz, uh, you know, uh, passed me the assist, and uh, I was opening and closing the door on one end of the bench. So that was my big contribution to the game. Uh, you know, I'm kind of a rookie at that, trying to get better. But uh, it, it was a lot of fun. You know, uh, it, it really brought me as close to the action as I possibly um, could ever have been able to be probably in my life. Uh, so it, it was really a great thing. Thanks to Billy and, and thanks really a lot to Johnny uh, for just kind of uh, allowing me to assist in whatever way I can. It's a funny story. I tell people this all the time. When I was a kid, I wanted to be an NBA equipment manager. Uh, I was, like, positive, like, first couple of years of high school, that was, like, kind of what I wanted to do with my life. And then I kind of just started writing one day. Uh, so, you know, in terms of the writing, uh, kind of filling in as the equipment manager on a road trip, not that I did really that much, um, but, you know, I, I, I think it just goes to show how important every job is on a team. And uh, with with sports being a great example of that, for sure, you know, where, you know, one one person's job is to just uh, open the doors and fill, refill the water bottles and uh, get the sticks to and from the locker room. So, uh, you know, I think it's just something I won't forget for sure. Yeah, and I was able to bring my, my Polaroid with me, take a few snapshots, which... At the time you're hearing this, we'll probably have them up on the Instagram so you can give them a nice look. Got one of Matt kind of looking like he's in the trenches a little bit with his gear. You know, you are in the trenches when you show up at these places, and I can really appreciate um, guys like Billy and uh, guys like like uh, Johnny and, and Gonzo. and You know, these guys have done it now for multiple years. You're going out and 
you're on the bus and you're showing up into a town and you're not sure, you know, if there's any place nearby to eat and you you know you know you have to get ready for the game. So it does take a lot. And my hat um, is really off to the supporters and the fans who supply the guys with snacks and stuff like that for these trips. Uh, we didn't take too much because we weren't going overnight this time. But um, it's always really humbling to see the fans contribute to the players' uh, success, really. Of course. And, you know, we always want to mention this. You're going to hear it a few times throughout the show. But this Saturday, we will be doing our first ever live episode right out of the Actrix Lounge in the Danbury Arena. Um, it'll be happening right at 6 o'clock. So it'll be going till around 6.30, 6.40-ish. Um, so it'll be a nice little thing. You can come up pregame, you know, watch us kind of babble on with our guests. Not babble on, but we got a few pretty awesome guests coming on to talk, and it's it's going to be an experience for sure, and we, we don't want you guys to miss it. I'm pretty excited. I'm really happy with Yeah, you know, about the, the live show. You know, yeah. it's, it's just, you know, um, a lot of credit goes to Pat. You know what I mean? Uh, he's really kind of stayed on top of all the things we, we've needed to do with this show, uploading, editing the show. Um, we've gotten more active. We've used some of the access that we've gotten on some of these road trips for Instagram. We're kind of helping the team with a little bit of content uh, in some ways. So it's really great um, that we're going to be doing this live show. You know, we, we didn't really come up for uh, – any more of a creative name than a live show but uh, yeah, that's what it is it's a live show live taping of Hat Trick City and um, I don't know if I mentioned this on the last show but um, uh, you know we're going to have people from you know the Hat Tricks fandom on the show the first guest we're going to have is Patricia Hutchison who is the owner of the Peach Wave in Bethel. And she's just a tremendous Hattricks fan. She supports the team through the business. Uh, it's, a, it's a place where uh, Hattricks fans are frankly treated special. Uh, and there's, there's, you know, there's, there's savings to unlock and whatnot through them. Uh, we're also really lucky. We had to convince them to literally come down off uh, the roof of a garage and not drink so much uh joe trench will be coming on the show postal joe you know danbury super fan uh it's going to be great to have joe kind of live in the building joe is a super fan of all sports and i i you know i watched the national championship with joe trench the other night because you know dude postal joe is danbury's number one hockey fan and he's number one sports fan Really, you know, there's a lot of good sports fans in Danbury, but Postal Joe is Danbury's number one sports fan. It was a great time watching the national championship with him the other night, and you know, uh, it definitely made a few Hattricks fans, myself, Postal Joe, TK, uh, excited about what could what could come with the hockey team here in town, uh, watching the Huskies win the national championship. So, what what can I say? Uh, come down to the live show. AJ Galante is going to be there with us. Uh, we're going to talk to him about, you know, in 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 the in the house of the Trashers, and just kind of get his input on what he thinks of this year's team and stuff he's got going around town uh, later this month. Uh, so it's 
Come down Saturday night, 6 o'clock sharp. Yes, and uh, last weekend we had a nice split series. Um, obviously, Elmira, big 6-2 win. Um, it was kind of a weird game. You know, we had a hot start, not so much really a good second period, but in the third we, we rallied, came back and beat them. And we, after a tied 2-2 score, um, but Friday night was arguably the more interesting night out of the two. Um, we faced off against Delaware for the last time in the regular season. And one of the, I mean, the big thing that everybody's going to be talking about with that game is that brawl that kind of erupted, you know, in that last period with like about four or so minutes left with Basie and, you know, base, Basie cross-checking. Yeah. Yeah. And Dowler as well. Um, but mainly with Basie, you know, he cross-checked Yao's like neck and that was like a big deal. Um, you know, just kind of, it was like a dirty thing, just all, all together. Um, you know, he got suspended for four games. I, I personally think he should have gotten more. Um, but still though, I mean, I get trying to like do something to just get the crowd going. Cause it was kind of a silent match, but at the same time, you don't, you don't do things like that to other people. Yeah, it's just four games uh, pretty much ends the season, and uh, the, the Thunder are, you know, what can we say? I think this was their, probably their best season. Did they have eight wins? Something like that. Something close to eight. I mean, I think we could look that up. I think um, while we're in the studio, we're in the studio on Wednesday today. Pat, I think you should click on over to the Thunder's Facebook page, and let's see what substance came from an announcement that was made um, from Delaware Thunder owner Charles Penn's uh, senior. Yeah, it was at 1 o'clock today. They had that. Uh, let's see. So it's a two-minute update. Uh, we'll play this for you guys. We'll have a better glimpse of the audio, and then we'll talk about it. Yeah, let's 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 see what it says in these two minutes from Charles Penn's owner of the Delaware Thunder. This is before we started, Pat. Hmm? This sounds like it'll be an update on their lease situation. Just to give people the background, quick before we play this, right? Yeah. Uh, the Delaware Thunder play um, on a state fairgrounds uh, property in a rink called Center Ice Arena. They call it the Thunderdome. Um, they have played the same amount that the Danbury Hattricks have played, I'm pretty sure. Each, they they both came into the league in 2019, I believe. They both took off during that COVID season. Um, as far as I know, and it's the only, frankly, the only rank in the league uh, in our division that I haven't been to, uh, it only fits like four, 800 people or something like that. 700. 700 people. Uh, we're talking about the smallest professional hockey rank in in America, for sure. So um, they were allegedly being pushed out by management at this rink is basically their side of it in previous videos. So here we are on Wednesday night, uh, April 5th, and there's a two-minute update, a little more than two minutes, I think, from... Charles Penn Sr. Hello, Delaware faithful. Uh, today we're talking once again with Charles Penn Sr., the president and CEO of the Delaware Thunder. 
Hey, Charlie, uh, social media has really been blowing up uh, trying to find out what is going on with the Thunder. Um, can you fill us in on any updates? Yeah, social media has been blowing up. It's been a whirlwind for the last week with interviews and, and, and uh, emails, phone calls. Um, yeah, as of uh, today, we heard from a senator, a uh, wonderful gentleman, that uh, he'd like to bring the two parties together here in the next week or so to resolve this unfortunate situation. So if both parties swallow their pride and, and realize that it's what's best for the community and the citizens, hopefully this will be resolved. The uh, Delaware State Fair has kind of been caught making several misstatements about the situation. Um, what are your comments on that? I'd rather not comment on that and just keep it positive so we can move forward and get a deal done. All right. Um, I understand that the uh, Thunder is partnering with another uh, charity from the community this weekend, uh, Saturday night's game. Uh, what's, go uh, what's up with that? Well, we have Autism Delaware. It's new for us this year. And um, the puck drops at 7 p.m. Please come out and support a great cause. We're excited about it. Um, we're really excited to have uh, be a part of another great cause in the state of Delaware. Great. Um, what are your thoughts about the possibility of the Thunder staying in Harrington? Hope. You have to have hope. And uh, like I said earlier, that, that both sides just kind of take a step back and realize what's best for the community and the state. It should be a no-brainer. Okay. Um, there's a lot of talk about uh, the... Uh, new arena possibly being in Dover. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think it'd be wonderful for the state of Delaware and for the communities and the skating community and the public and, and sports in general. It'll be a multi-purpose center. Uh, Mayor Christensen of uh, the city of Dover has been wonderful. City Council has been wonderful. Um, we're probably going to get ready in the next week or so to form a committee to uh, move the project forward. And that's why it's important to get an extension here for two to three years so the fans, the Delaware Thunder fans and our partners and the community still have pro hockey here until the new facility can be built. And that's why it's imperative that everybody gets together and makes this thing happen. Okay, thank you, Charlie. Uh, once again, that's uh, Charlie Penn, Senior President and CEO of the Delaware Thunder. Uh, thank you, and thank you to the Delaware faithful. Thank you, Ronnie. Pat, your thoughts? Really? I kind of feel like this is just reiterating what the initial press conference said. Um, kind of also going for, you know, Delaware State Fair making some comments to other media outlets about the situation. So, I mean, there's a little bit of setting the record straight, but at the same time, it's kind of the same info that we already had. Yeah, that did seem a bit, um, the whole thing seemed to, to be framed a bit biasly there, kind of, uh, yeah. I'm not sure what that told us. Uh, I, I, um, I mean, that was a self-released video in which he declined to answer his own question. Uh, so that was pretty interesting. <laughs> he, he, yeah. he said he didn't want to comment on a question they were basically asking themselves. Uh, so Delaware Thunder was asking the Delaware Thunder if they wanted to comment on something, and they said no. Um, so I think that uh, I think we heard a lot there uh the delaware thunder are in trouble um this can't be good this isn't good for anybody this is definitely not good for the people who go to their games uh, i feel bad for those people um i don't feel bad for a rink that you know didn't make didn't make the proper improvements or anything they promised if that was in case the fact 
I'm not sure I necessarily feel, you know, too much sympathy for the Thunder. I, I Listen, I want them to stick around. I guess it's an easier road trip for the hat tricks. But I just don't know how anyone would have thought that you could make uh, professional uh, level entertainment money um, at a 700 seat rink there are there are movie theaters there are IMAX theaters with that many seats probably <laughs> somewhere if you think about it so there may be uh, you know so I just don't really um, you know you're playing in the rink the size of a movie theater and uh, ultimately I just don't know if it's going to work out in the long run there We've been over this. The yeah. Lightning has to strike in this league for there to be a new team in the Northeast. There has to be somebody willing to pay, perhaps a union house. There has to be somebody who wants to invest in the city that has the rink as well. So, it, you know, newsflash to everybody listening to the show, all, all pro sports teams are marketing firms at the end of the day. It's an entertainment-based marketing thing. And they're going out there to sell those sponsorships, to get involved in the community, to make money, to keep things going. Now, on the small level, that's just how they make money. Might not get rich off it or even turn a profit, but on the lowest level, that's how you make money. And you need somebody as dedicated as Herm is here to keeping it going, as... The owners in Binghamton are to keeping that show that's been going on 50 years going. And, you know, ultimately, if somebody, and I don't know who's involved now, not to cast any shadows, but, you know, in Elmira, they could get it going. If there is somebody that believes, that wants to work on improving attendance, that wants to get uh, fans in the seats no matter what, it's all reality. I think it's not reality um, that we're going to see the Delaware Thunder again. I mean, if they can't get this lease, I just don't know how they exist. Unless there is another small rink somewhere in Delaware that they could do this with. I don't know. You know, I don't know how you do a team like this at this level in a place that you know doesn't you know doesn't accommodate at least 2,000 seats and doesn't have the the and I think you're going to see that it could get tough for other teams in our division to keep it going after a while but this this message here um, from Charles Penn Sr. does not uh, it does not sound good for the Thunder. Um, yeah, and really to kind of piggyback off of that, um, I, I I just have a gut feeling that this lease isn't going to get renewed. Um, if they do get approved for Dover, um, I don't know if the interest is still going to be there by the time that place is built back up. I mean, I'm sure there's still going to be, you know, a couple hundred people that will go in Dover in two or three years but 
I don't know if it'll be the same interest as they have right now with all these people signing this petition, trying to get the state fair to really just think about it and renew the lease. But again, interest can be bought if if you know, and and every market is relative. If they could get a couple of thousand people to go to games just 2000 in a place that fit that many it might work out for them but you have to build a place that big it's a listen it's a long thing down the road i've been involved with different minor league sports um as a reporter as a supporter in in some ways uh, i could tell you this um this we're going to build an arena thing somewhere is one of the oldest lines i've heard in in minor league professional sports i can i can give you a guy in almost every region of the country who was playing in some minor league it happened in basketball for a while uh, was playing in some minor league and you know uh they were you know they were playing in a high school gym but if, you know they were really going to get the money to build a state-of-the-art facility in some downtown place it's just not gonna it, it's it's you know it is a big task to accomplish and I think just the tone of that video made it seem like uh, the only place that this team the Delaware Thunder could continue to operate is uh, Center Ice Arena in Harrington and they are now out of their lease so it doesn't uh, it doesn't bode good and then to wrap up our intro um, I want to talk about the last two home games we have for the regular season. We're going to be playing a two-game set against Elmira on Friday and Saturday. Um, really, if the guys play the way they did last weekend, I see no problem with this being two wins in a row, both nights. Um, we kind of really know this team in and out already, and that kind of showed on Saturday even, you know, being at a point where we had a tied game, kind of were at like a standstill for a while and then just erupted to you know scoring four goals to win the game so honestly i i think it's going to be a pretty good weekend for the hat tricks but um i don't know if you got any thoughts that might differ no i don't think so i i you know i think that um we're at a point in the season now where these guys have been rolling pretty hard and the opportunity is right in front of them and i can tell that um you know just just getting a chance to follow the guys a little bit and and see how dialed in they've been over the last few months and how much respect um, guys like Kyle Gonzalez and uh, have been approaching the game with in the last few months. Um, it, it's just something that's uh, really inspiring to watch. And I think that uh there's been good leadership gordy's back playing with a bite um you know toby ojik has been really nails since he came back and and really um just a tough competitor in every way uh, i think other guys are coming into their own being more consistent uh zach pamilion has been really uh really tough up and down the ice uh, has the opportunity to play both defense and forward and and, and he does well uh, in in every capacity and I see that his skating uh, kind of improves week to week when Dowler's out there he's been really tough 
And uh, I think everybody's been really uh, stepping up their game, and it's fun to watch. So, uh, you know, as we look here at the, the last couple of games against Elmira, you're, you're going to see familiar faces. Uh, I saw them from the bench Friday night. You know, you see uh, Luke Richards out there who, who played real tough uh, when the Hattricks came to town, I thought. Um, Tristan Mock is now with Elmira. Uh, and you know a fan favorite of uh, the the Animal House section, Justin Schmidt, will be uh, back again uh, this weekend. So it's going to be good to see him too. It's it's a special time with these guys right now, and uh, I'm just really trying to capture it the best that I can and hope for the best. Of course, and you know once again. Make sure to come on down to the live show this Saturday at the Extrix Lounge at 6 p.m. out of the Danbury Arena. And without further ado, here is our first guest, Jacob Ratcliffe. Hey, this is Johnny Ruiz, captain of the Danbury Hattricks, and you're listening to Hattrick City on WXCI. Hot chicks, baby! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Hattrick City on WXCI 91.7 and streaming online at WXCI.org. I'm your host, DJ Patty Cake, as always, joined by my lovely co-host, DJ Uncle Matt. Today in the studio, we got Jacob Ratcliffe. Jacob, how are we doing today? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Jacob, you've been around a while now. Uh, how are you getting used to being on the team? Yeah, it's good. I think... Um it was pretty easy to come in here with the group of guys that we have. Um, everyone kind of just welcomed me in right away, so it wasn't uh, wasn't too big of an adjustment at all. Dude, you you, I'm looking at your elite prospects page, and it's kind of like a UPS tracking, <laughs> uh, like summary or something like that. I, I don't even wanna. <laughs> I don't even know where we should start. <laughs> no, I played. I played all over the place. Yeah, it's been a it's been a bit of a journey for you, but me. Maybe um, being that you you played, you're from Australia, or, or is that a British accent? Uh, New Zealand. <laughs> no, didn't you? <laughs> no, I'm saying, but growing up in New Zealand, how did you how did you get to get to just be associated or, or kind of get around hockey at first? Yeah, so um, I guess how I first started was where I grew up. Um, I was on kind of a quiet street, and for whatever reason, the kids. Um, kids that lived down the street that we were friends with had some old street hockey sticks and so we would just kind of you know play in the street and stuff like that um, when I was this is when I was pretty young like five six years old and uh, I just really enjoyed it so kind of told my parents to kind of look into seeing if there was any any real kind of ice or inline hockey out there and this was around the same time that the Mighty Ducks came out as well so <laughs> I think that's the same kind of story for a lot of kids, and or at uh, least the first time you saw it. Yeah, that's true, and um, and yeah, so we looked into it, and there ended up being uh, you know a rink, fifteen minutes from from home. So went down to uh, like a learn to skate, learn to play hockey um, session, and kind of just fell in love from there. And since then, it's kind of been all all hockey for me. It's interesting because I think I first learned that New Zealand and Australia and a few other countries had hockey in it kind of from being around some of the federal league guys in the early days of the league um, guys would go over and play for the ice dogs and uh, I think the legendary member of Danbury's uh, championship team Matt Punterary who did not play any regular season games but managed to get in the entire playoff run um, 
he I think he also played in, in New Zealand for I think he played for Canterbury. He did. I actually played against him did in you? uh in the New Zealand league. How and, old were you? Uh I would have been around eighteen, I think. Wow. Then, yeah. What do you remember about that nut? Did he have his <laughs> he had like the shamrock mustache in those days? Yeah, right? no, he was definitely um Definitely an interesting-looking guy, uh, and I heard a lot of stories too, because um, he had played in the Australian League as well with some some guys I played with there. So I've heard heard a lot about him. Yeah, I think um, Melbourne Ice Dogs. I think yeah. he was with Sydney. Yeah, Sydney Ice. Dogs, Sydney but, Ice Dogs. Um, it's Melbourne Ice. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. So, yeah, yeah. so your parents got you involved in hockey. Where where was it? Like, where are you actually from? So I grew up in Christchurch, which is Canterbury. That uh, that team that he played for. Same area. Um, I grew up there, you know, for most of my life until I was around, uh, when I was 18, I was already overseas by this point, but then my parents moved up to Auckland, which is the, like, the biggest city in New Zealand, so that's kind of where I, where I guess home is for me now whenever I'm back there, but yeah, I grew up, and where I first learned to play hockey and all that was in, uh, in Christchurch. So, tell us a little bit about coming to North America, like, where does that decision, like, where does that fork in the road kind of happen for you? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, um, hockey's—it's a minority sport back home. So, if uh, if you kind of when you get a little bit older and you want to get more serious at it, um, you kind of have to head head overseas. And um, for me, it was kind of all I ever wanted to do. And you know, back home, it's not obviously as big as over here. So I was kind of playing up up a few age groups and stuff, and and really wanted to just go overseas and play at a higher level. Um, so when I was 13 or 14 I think my grade 9 year of high school was when I first um, you know first came overseas and I'd been trying to get my parents to send me for a few years before that but they waited till waited until high school and then um, and then yeah I, I went overseas for my first uh, grade 9 year of high school there where'd you um, go I went to this school called Harrington College in Quebec just outside Montreal for one year and then for the next three years of high school after that I was at uh, a different school just outside Ottawa Ontario did you did you leave Quebec because of the French? Uh, no, that school actually shut down um, after the one year that I was there. So wow. I kind of didn't have a choice. But um, So that must have been a little disorienting, right? You just got here, now the school's getting closed. Yeah, I mean, it didn't really matter for me as long as I was somewhere playing hockey. It was kind of, that was all that So all did, that like, mattered. another team in the same league recruit you, or...? Uh, it wasn't the same league, but um, a few, quite a few of the players that were at the original school that I'd been at had... Uh, decided that they were going to this other school so that's kind of how i uh heard about that and then decided to go over there what what year was it that you came over is that 2011 12 was actually the first year wow so it's been yeah. a long run for you've been over here for a long while now yeah no, i do i do kind of feel like um it's sort of my second home over here in the states a little bit what about um something that i think not a lot of our fans know just i guess to explain it i'm sure some do but there is a lot of uh, there's a professional league in Australia and I believe New Zealand they play around the same time of year right so it's kind of like is it do both of those leagues play when our North American season ends is that when it starts yeah that's right so it's uh, it's not actually professional technically but um, yeah both those leagues run during the southern hemisphere winter which is you know the same time as the summer over here so um, it ends up being teams all they're allowed four imports each team so for you know non-local guys um so they end up getting some pretty high level pro guys because for them it's the off season and they want um you know they kind of want a chance to to travel and it's all paid for and stuff so it's kind of like a free 
free trip down to down to Australia or New Zealand and you know just play hockey for a couple months during the off season so um yeah yeah there ends up being some pretty high level um pro guys that come over and play in it which makes for makes for some high high competition for sure in New Zealand as well right still pretty, yeah same thing same yeah, thing pretty high just level. a little bit smaller less teams less games but um yeah same time of year and everything how much of that type of experience I mean it looks like you've gotten a lot of games in in the New Zealand I guess it's the National League of New Zealand uh how much of that kind of prepared you for coming over to North America? Um, I mean, a little bit. It was definitely definitely helped a lot playing with when I was I first started playing there when I was you know fifteen, sixteen. So when you're young like that, and you have a chance to play with some older guys that have already played professional hockey, um, you know you can definitely learn some things from them um, and try to try to take that with you. I guess when you go overseas yourself and play. I guess um, <clears throat> another thing I wanted to ask you is 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 there a lot of hitting? How how do the games play out over there? Um, it's definitely yeah, there's definitely a lot of physicality and a lot of skill. But um, is you it know, similar to kind of the physical game that like they played in England, where it's a little more physical? Um, similar to that, I'd say just the biggest difference is there's a lot less um, a lot less kind of systems overall and and stuff like that compared to the pro game or the college game or anything like that. It's just a lot more. Um, kind of a lot more run and gun offense which makes for a lot of high scoring games and you know it's fun to fun to play in and fun to watch for the fans too so yeah so it looks like you even played in the in the world in like on the world level for New Zealand a little bit are you still kind of in the pool for that or uh I haven't played for a few years for them but they still compete every year although they did miss um with covid and everything there wasn't uh, they weren't able to play for two or three years but this season they're they'll uh they'll be back in in about a month or two actually the new zealand team is playing um it's in turkey this year their division so is it division two division two group b so group b, that's yeah. like the fifth overall in the whole kind of world basically so, um so yeah but no that's definitely a great experience too when i did play there um a few years ago you go to some interesting countries and play against some interesting countries and stuff so that's that was definitely a lot of fun i, I I don't know if this is do, do you think you'll have a chance to play again for them or I think at some point yeah just right now the timing uh doesn't really work because it's kind of in uh it'll be in April so we'll obviously we're looking to Are you in touch with them? Yeah no I still those are all my all my really good friends are uh, the people playing there so um yeah it sucks I mean I wish I would be able to do that um but right now at this point um kind of with me obviously we're looking to go deep in playoffs and stuff like that so the dates just don't really work out, unfortunately. But do other members of New Zealand's uh, national team or kind of that pool of guys do they play prof- professionally in North America? Uh, no one professional. There has been quite a few guys have come over and played, um, you know, like my prep school hockey and junior hockey as well um, when they were kind of younger, and then uh ended up staying back home after that so i think at this right now i'm the only one that's in north america playing but um a lot of players do have different experiences kind of at different points does uh, new zealand have a draft pick ever no no draft picks wow. um yeah. and a lot of people don't know how tough it is to actually even have a draft pick in hockey because if you think about it <clears throat> there's a lot of countries that compete in the world championships but if you look at the lower teams i mean italy has only ever had one or maybe two players trained in Italy drafted to the NHL. The first one that comes to mind is um, can't think of his name right now. He's a big defenseman who played in Co- Thomas Larkin. 
uh, who was like kind of part of uh, Columbus Blue Jackets, like a drafted him for a while. He was a big defenseman working with him. But at the end of the day, it's even if you're in the top, what is it in the top? Is it 18 or 16? Even if you're in that top six, top group, it's pretty hard to get a draft pick once you get past all the Americans, all the Canadians, all the Russians, all the 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 the, uh, the Finnish and the the Swedes and and other people that. You know that that basically make up the big pool of, of people being drafted. How was that something that ever played in your mind? Not so much about being drafted, but just the odds against you. Like you know, when you came over here, did 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 that ever play into your head? Um, yeah, I think you kind of realize pretty quickly. You know, when I was back home, when I was like ten, eleven, playing, you don't really know too much um, about it. And then when I first came over, when I was yeah thirteen, fourteen, that first season, I was playing. Uh, in Quebec at like the highest level for Bantam and it was just yeah definitely an eye-opener as to kind of how many how many really good players there are um, and obviously even from that group of players it's pretty slim to kind of get a chance to even get drafted so right away you can kind of see uh, when I when I came over to Canada just how just how good everyone is and how you know limited uh, how many limited spots there are to kind of move on to to the high levels like that. Something I wanted to ask you before we get too far away from it: When you came over to play in Quebec, was it majority of people speaking French, or was that more of an English part of? Uh, the part of Quebec I was in, I think, was mostly French, but it was like uh, it was a prep school, so at the school, everyone kind of, you know, every there was some locals that were bilingual, but for the most part, it was it was all in English. Yeah, um, so you weren't like kind of caught in the crossfire no, yeah. of no, not at all. trying to translate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where you no. were, um, again. Uh, there's like a little bit of six degrees of separation. You ended up at, you played a bunch of junior hockey, actually, before we get into the connection, but uh, you played a bunch of junior hockey. It looks like, how did you then go from those prep schools? Is it, did you get recruited from there? Did you look for teams? How does it go to, to kind of get you down to the States? Cause it looks like you played in Wilkes-Barre. And- yeah, so, um, you know, I always wanted to play college hockey. That was always kind of the end goal. And obviously the, you know the path to do that is by playing junior hockey either in Canada or in the states and uh, at first I was going to look to play juniors in Canada but there was kind of a rule they had like import rules and stuff up there so um, I ended up coming down to the states and yeah you just kind of try to find uh, try to find some teams um, that are kind of looking for guys and um, yeah Wilkes-Barre was the first first spot that I ended up and then I was in uh, South Shore Kings which is in Foxborough Mass for the yeah. next kind of Two and a half, two and a half seasons after that. So, and then it led you to Westfield State, where, ironically, my brother actually played college basketball, and you know he lived for four years. Uh, you, you never really run into. Sometimes you run into people who went to that college. How did you? How did you end up at Westfield State? Like, I guess you just, yeah. I guess if you're from another country and you want to play college hockey, you're like, oh, New England school, I'll do it. You know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's just because I was playing. Because I was playing juniors in Massachusetts, um, generally those kind of for D three those schools just kind of recruit locally. It's easier for them to to recruit out of the, the nearby junior league. So that's kind of why most of the schools that I was getting any interest from were uh, from around the New England area. Um, and in the end, it was just uh, yeah, Westfield State was just the best fit I think for me. I went on a visit there and um, you know thought it was going to be a lot of fun. So. Uh, it was definitely a good decision. I really, you know, really enjoyed my four years there, and 
um, yeah, I had a great time. What did you think of the Westfield Springfield area as a whole? Uh, it's you know there's not a ton going on out in Westfield. It's pretty small. Um, but I think when you're going to college, it doesn't really matter. Like you've got kind of all your teammates and friends from school that are that are with you there. So you know it doesn't really matter where you are. You're gonna have a good time no matter what. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but you may have heard in Springfield what happened recently that the Mardi Gras closed permanently. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't hear that. See, he already knew what it was. Uh, but uh, we'll let the fans just Google what the Mardi Gras in Springfield is, but it's a unfortunate closure of a long-time business. Anyway, uh, m- moving on. So talk about your career like at, at Westfield. What what gave you the confidence to have you put up some good numbers? What gave you that confidence to, to stride out there? Was it that you were – you know, kind of playing in the off season and getting that competitive hockey in where other guys might not have been. How did it work for you? Um, I think it just depends on you know. That was part of the reason I ended up going there too. Is when you're talking to these different coaches um, from college teams, you can kind of get a sense of who, who kind of which teams or which schools kind of really want you the most and where you're going to get the best chance to play right away. Um, and Westfield seemed to be like that. And you know, fortunately, I went in and was given a really good opportunity by the coach as a freshman to play a lot of minutes um, and play on special teams on the power play and stuff like that. And, yeah, fortunately I was able to have have some good success right off the bat, which was um, a little unexpected for me, you know, because it's a big jump going from juniors to college. So, um, yeah, it was just, uh, you know, I think a lot of it is definitely training and, op- you know, working hard in the off season and stuff, but also getting a good opportunity from the coach. It all kind of... Uh, all kind of worked out well at Westfield. How did you guys do overall in the standings, like in your four years? Uh, my freshman year was the best that we did. We finished second in the league that year, and then I think the next. Uh, I, I actually only played three seasons because we lost a whole my whole junior year uh, with COVID and stuff. We weren't able to play, but um, yeah, I think we were fourth the next two years after that in the regular season. Every year we lost in the semifinals, which was. Um, a little disappointing we definitely would have liked to and I think with the teams that we had we probably should have should have done a little bit better in playoffs but um, yeah no still still really enjoyed it and wouldn't change anything for sure tell us a little bit about the the professional process for you what were your options you I get do you have like a passport where you could go places I'm I'm playing dumb right here but it's like do you have a passport where you could just easily get into other countries and play or what were your options uh, you know yeah, so for me, um, I yeah, I always wanted to play professional after college, no no question about that. Um, and yeah, I guess the two main options are either the North American route or going to Europe. Um, and for me, going to Europe, um, I don't think there would have been any, no passport issues or stuff like that, but those leagues kind of have import restrictions for, you know, I would be treated the same as a North American player going over there. Um, and I definitely still want to do that at some point in my career. But for me, I wanted to go the North American route right away. And to do that, it's not too complicated, really. You just once you sign with a team, um, you get the paperwork to get a visa. And then, um, yeah, there's normally no issues with that. So that's what I have kind of here to be living here kind of legally and getting paid to play. So Something yeah. that we sometimes do is why don't you take us through college ends for you you graduate um i'm sure it was a rainy day in westfield mass uh tell us what happens there like what happens as far as hockey wise within the days or weeks after you you finish school and you're you know you're able to move on yeah so i always knew that i wanted to like i said stay stay in north america to start and uh i had had some teammates 
uh, in college before who were, you know, a few years older than me that had gone on to play in leagues like the SPHL or the FPHL. Um, so that was what I was looking to do. And a lot of guys, you know, have agents or advisors. Um, and one of my former teammates um, who was playing in the SPHL at the time, I kind of talked to him and he put me in touch with his agent. Um, and then, yeah, once school finished, um, I initially wanted to play some guys right after the season. You know, they finish out the year um, in pro, and I wanted to look to do that. But uh, with the visa, it turned out I wouldn't. I would have had to fly all the way back home and then come back. So just kind of too much, too much admin there. So I ended up not doing anything right at the end of my senior year. Yeah, to year. get those end of the year games. And yeah. I mean, yeah. And then uh, yeah. So then over the summer, um, it was a pretty simple process for me. Kind of in June. Uh, Did you play in New Zealand last summer? I played in the Australian League last summer, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, yeah, in June, I think, early June, um, the first uh, the team that I started the season with, Quad City Storm, in the Southern Pro League, uh, they reached out to me and, um, yeah, just signed with them from there. So it was a pretty simple, pretty simple process in the end. And then what happened while you were there? So then, yeah, I, I started the season with them for the first kind of t- little over two months, I want to say. Um, and then, unfortunately, was put on waivers by them um, and then picked up right away by the Make and Mayhem, another team in that league. And then I was there for another two, little over two months, I'd say, and then was released by them about six weeks ago now. And then, um, yeah, wasn't able to kind of get another job uh, in the Southern Pro League. So then that's how I ended up... Uh, coming to Danbury yeah you got here pretty quickly I guess after how, how long did it like what was that little window that brought you here what was that process like you get in touch with Billy who, who knew who yeah it was about two weeks um so yeah initially you kind of just waiting to see if you can where'd you go uh I stayed in Macon for the first kind of week and was just waiting it out to see if um see if there's any other teams in that league that want to pick you up and then uh and then when that doesn't happen um you kind of figure out where you're going to go from there and I had a few connections with Danbury because uh, the, the coach in Macon was Nick, Nick Nieder. Yeah, yeah, so, sure. um, so he knew Billy. Um, so, I, yeah, Billy ended up calling me um, and talking to me. And so, yeah, that's kind of how we got in touch. And then I also had played with another former player here, um, Cardish and Carrick. Yeah, sure. I was in Quad City. So I talked to him, and he had um, only good things to say about his time playing here and all that so uh, it just ended up being a pretty easy decision and just kind of hopped on hopped on a plane the next day flew up here and uh yeah was playing that weekend for Danbury yeah so the coach in Macon was Nick Nieder uh legendary uh Danbury player he's an <clears throat> first player ever signed to the Danbury Whalers most people listening know who Nick Nieder is if not from uh Danbury uh, hockey, they probably know him from Westco, where he was running the goalie room for years. Um, take us a little bit through, you know, w- what on a day-to-day basis, like, do you call your parents at a certain time every day, or h- how does it work for you? Because I imagine that at least some of the people you, you want to be in touch with the most are on a completely different schedule, right? Yeah, so obviously there's a big, uh, big time change uh, for back home, so Typically, I wouldn't be able to talk to anyone until probably like two, three in the afternoon for us over here in the States would be when that's kind of eight, nine a.m. back home when people are first starting to wake up and all that. So, um, I mean, I've been away from home for a while. You kind of get used to it. I probably only talk to my parents 
uh, on the phone maybe once every couple of weeks. Um, wow. Maybe a little bit more often with my dad, you know, just after the weekend, talking about the games and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, definitely. With WhatsApp is. and all this stuff, you could text all Yeah, day. exactly, exactly. WhatsApp, Snapchat, everything these days, you can kind of just stay in touch with people pretty pretty easily. Have they had a chance to come over here and see you play even in the college years? Like, how often did they make it over? Uh, in college, they made it out once uh, in my sophomore season, and then they wanted to come out senior year, but there was still some travel restrictions and all that, so... Um, so they weren't able to make it out then, but they did come this year actually. Really? Um, at the start, it was kind of funny the timing of it. They had this trip planned. This is when I was playing at Quad City to come out and watch me play some games there. Um, but when I got released, was actually two days before they were flying in, so um, uh-huh. was kind of in panic mode a little bit. But they still flew out, and then I ended up signing with Macon uh, like two days later. So um, I ended up driving, packing up all my stuff and driving down with my parents in their rental car wow. down to Macon and then played the next day. So they still kind of got to see, they still got to see me play. How many um, hours was that? It's like a 12 hour drive. You so. guys got to see a lot of America, huh? Yeah. Uh, a lot of highways, I guess. But um, <laughs> yeah, it worked out in the end. They just had to change, change their hotel rooms uh, a little bit. But yeah, that's kind of, I told them that's all part of the all part of the journey with the life pro. It's yeah kinda, you get moved around quite a bit so oh my god i can only imagine the total number of hours traveled for your parents <laughs> uh in that in that sequence there kind of sounds amazing when you're dealing with something like that did you guys just make the best of it i mean yeah pretty much i mean it was a little stressful at first because you know you don't know you don't know what's going to happen um and then yeah fortunately i was able to sign with another team right away uh, actually, while they were on the plane, so I had to wait till they landed, and then told them, "All right, as soon as you come here, we got to turn around quickly and get down to <laughs> surprise." Get down to, yeah, get down to Georgia from yeah. from Illinois. So that was yeah, that was a long trip. But um, where is it? Moline, Illinois. Is that Moline, playing? Illinois. Yeah. yeah. So. For some reason, I thought they were in Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> Imagine. Well, I guess I'm wrong. Yeah, well, we lived. Uh, it's kind of right on the border, so all the like all the apartments were actually in Iowa, but the rink is just. Over a bridge. Is it Des Moines that's right there? No, not Des Moines. It's no? in Bendorf. So Des Moines, okay. I think that's a USHL team. I'm pretty sure. Oh, maybe you're right. Yeah, yeah. I, I get, but I know it's it borders uh, Iowa. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think Des Moines close by. Yeah, that that's interesting. And then, wow. I mean, that's pretty crazy when you think about it. Imagine that getting off the. I think once you travel that much, you might as well just keep going. Yeah, exactly. You know exactly. I, mean? I was bringing this up. And I think this is a good question. I was bringing this up to my buddy that, um, you know, on this last road trip that we went on uh, with you guys, uh, some of the listeners might not know, me and Pat uh, went with the team to Elmira this weekend. And it was a there, you know, it was a it was a there and back type of a trip. But you know what I was saying? Um, you never really appreciate a good and well-stocked gas station until you travel like four or five hours in a clip for a hockey game you know what i mean and you play you know you get you know think about it it's, a, it's like a 12-hour process right it's four hours to get to the game some of these games are playing then it's about four four and a half hours all said and done for the game and then it's another four four hours back you know what i mean and so the question i have for you is it's Two o'clock in the morning, we've been driving for two hours, we pull over to the best, most well-stocked gas station in the world. It could be a Sheets, it could be a Chestnut, it could be a Royal Farms, 
It could be a 7-Eleven attached, even though 7-Eleven doesn't have a lot of great food options, okay? What are you coming out with? It's 2 in the morning. you got another two hours to go. Mm. Uh, I definitely, like, have a bit of a sweet tooth, Ooh. like that kind of stuff. So I'd say uh, some of those Rolos, little chocolate caramel Ooh. ones. I definitely get some of those. That's probably my go-to. And maybe some kind of <laughs> chips as well. Any type of sweet drink, or are you just a water guy? No, I don't normally drink too much pop um, or soda or anything like that. Probably just water for me. Coffee guy? Or? I actually don't drink coffee. I never never started and uh, just, I guess there's really no need to now. Unless you, ever have the t- you ever have the taste of it? or I have tried it. I just didn't really like it. And, you know, fortunately, we don't have a job where we kind of need to be up too early or awake uh, for too, too many hours of the day. I can kind of go home and take a nap after practice, so... Maybe whenever I uh, get a real job, I'll start drinking coffee, but um, not right now. Pat, what are you coming out with? And and this, and this is another caveat. It could be your <laughs> ideal. This could be your ideal gas station. Now, this could be you. Could, it could be a Sheets if you want to be. It could be Cumbies. It could be exactly. It could be Cumberland Farms. It could yeah. be the your favorite one. It's two in the morning. You got another two hours ago. What do you want? Mm. And you're and you're hungry. I'm hungry. I mean, if it's a Cumbies, I, I got to go mac and cheese bites Ooh. all the way. Those things really hit the spot with some marinara sauce on the side. It It's like a mozzarella stick, but just like amplified. And then probably like a, like a Shirley Temple or something that they have in the machine. I'm just a glutton. I think I would go in if, if it could. Let's say it's a Sheets. I was going to say, you're probably going to pick Sheets. I'm going to pick a Sheets because <laughs> I was like hoping that we ran into a Sheets on the way back from Elmira. We didn't. There was one in the vicinity, but I, I didn't want to suggest we stop at that point. I think I'm getting a made-to-order pizza with pepperoni, a Tabasco Slim Jim, and a Snickers bar. That sounds like such a brand deal, the uh, way you just, a made-to-order hey, pizza. Come on, cuz. You know what I mean? With like a I'm Slim just, Jim by Tabasco. Yeah, a Slim Jim with Tabasco sauce, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and like, uh, yeah, I think Dude, I'm pretty sure you went on, like... Because we sat together on that bus ride back, and you went on about sheets for probably about like an hour. Dude, we <laughs> needed to like I just can't figure out why. I imagine the place station... is good, but you were like the sheets, dude, the sheets, and then we'd stop for a little bit, talk about something else, and you're like, oh well, then the sheets. Well, it's important, dude. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I honestly, if we could just split it between sheets and Wawa, all over the country, yeah. I think that I think we'd have a more united nation. But, you know. Jacob, take us through um, just since you've been here in Danbury, kind of, you know, what's been your impression of the team, the fans, the town, and, and how you've adjusted? Yeah, it's been it's been pretty much all positive for me. Uh, I mean, obviously it helps when you're winning. I think we've only lost the one game since I've been here. So um, anytime you're winning, you know, the mood's always going to be light. Guys are joking around in the locker room and stuff like that but uh, at the same time you know guys aren't satisfied we're still still working hard every day because you know ultimately all this regular season success uh, doesn't really mean anything right you gotta gotta get the job done in playoffs so that's what everyone's pretty dialed in on at the moment so it's a good uh it's a good mix of kind of having fun and and working hard at the same time and trying to get all the details in our in our systems and game um ready to go for for playoffs but yeah playing here it's been it's been great obviously um you know at the danbury arena is pretty 
pretty fun place to play. I think it's a hard place. Would be a hard place to come in as a road team. Our fans are pretty, pretty loud, and you know support the team um, no matter what. So it's it's a really fun place. It's a fun place to play. I'd say. I I think I'm I'm glad you're you mentioned that yourself because I I kind of wanted to ask you. I remembered I did. Is how do you compare Danbury Arena's atmosphere and the way the arena is built and stuff to the rinks that are in Australia and New Zealand, where they do play professional games? You know. Yeah, it's pretty. Um, you know, it's different. It definitely holds more holds more people. A lot of the rinks back home, um, would like be, a thousand people or something. Yeah, closer to like like Watertown. If you've been there, that's mm-hmm. probably kind of what more of the rinks back home look like. So, um, so it's good in Danbury. You can fit fit a lot of people in there, and and they do so. Um, it's definitely a really good atmosphere, and the the fans back home are, are really good too. They get they get behind the teams and stuff as well. But um, you know, there's a lot more kind of physicality and fights and stuff like that over here. I think, which kind of just adds to the whole whole atmosphere. Especially you know in Danbury, they love they love a good they love everything. You know, heads, fights, <laughs> goals. So um, yeah, there's been a lot of that since I've been here. And then one thing I kind of saw because I'm I'm trying to get into Australian hockey just over the summer. Um, you know, I I noticed that some are like built for just like community, and they have like no glass. Is that true? Yeah, that is true. Most rinks, I'd say, uh, like the rink that I played at in Sydney, uh, does not have glass. It's got so really, yeah. Just uh, when they have hockey, two teams out of that same rink, two teams in Sydney, two teams in Melbourne, um, and then yeah, teams kind of all over all the rest over. of the country. But yeah, a lot of the rinks have they'll just have really tight netting uh, that kind of comes up. Um, during you know for when they're doing hockey, so yeah, it's definitely a little different playing without glass for sure. That's something uh, something that takes a while to get used to for most of the guys that come over there. And then kind of like the gameplay of it too, like how does it compare to hockey in the states? Like, is there less or more hitting, or is there the same amount fights even? Um, probably the same amount of hitting, I'd say. Um, less fighting for sure i think they go by the uh international rules so i think if you fight it's like a the rest of the game you have to sit out it's not just five minutes like over here so yeah there's definitely a lot less uh a lot less of that but um yeah it's definitely a, a different but exciting style of hockey i think to watch in australia do any of the guys get paid um technically no i mean the teams kind of provide you know for the for the import guys that come over they you know they typically provide flights accommodation they can give you they'll give you a vehicle to use while you're there and kind of set you up with a job if you want it and stuff like that so it's kind of like a free i guess working holiday you could say did you have a job while you were there yeah i worked uh, i worked at the rink actually um <laughs> driving driving the zamboni which was uh interesting but um, have you ever driven the zamboni here in danbury no i have not and uh i'd probably have to relearn because this was uh this was the first time i played over there so uh, a few years ago so now, last but, time you didn't yeah no last time i had a different job but um yeah no it was it was definitely a lot of fun playing over there do you plan on going back this summer to play there this summer i'm not going to i just need the time off i mean it's 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 definitely like i said it's a good experience playing there but um at the end of the day uh, you do end up playing hockey kind of year round, so you need need the time off um, in between seasons, and especially playing. You know, when I was playing in college, you play twenty five to thirty games um, uh, for D three anyway, so it's not as much. No, it doesn't take as much of a toll on the body. So then you can play, you know, in the Australian league in the off season and kind of not be too too burnt out. Whereas you know this year playing, you play kind of in the fifty to sixty game range playing pro over here, so. 
um, I, yeah, I definitely just uh, want to kind of take the summer off and just uh, recuperate a little bit and then get ready for, for next season back uh, in North America. Tell me something before we let you go. Just, I don't know why I'm thinking about this recently, but, you know, you, you played in a country, grew up in a country, a non-traditional hockey country. What, what's your, what's your, I don't know why I'm asking you this. I think it's just more because you grow up and, and you, 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 in these other countries, maybe stuff isn't quite as available, but like what, what gear did you grow up playing with and you like, what do you prefer? You know, you a Bauer guy, you a CCM guy, a uh, little mix of everything growing up. Um, I, I mean, head to toe, what do you like best? Head to toe. I mean, I guess I have to say warrior cause that's kind of what we, what we use in this league, but um yeah growing up i would use a bit of everything um uh, i would order a lot of equipment from uh hockey monkey it's like a sure. kind of big website here in the states so that's where i would kind of get most of my oh, stuff the from. shipping get, must have been brutal yeah the shipping was brutal there was um you could buy stuff back you know back home too but they had kind of limited selection um it was mostly eastern stuff uh back in the day in new zealand for whatever reason they had some kind of deal with the one pro shop that there was um so most kids would use that. So then I wanted to use the opposite. So I would just get kind of whatever I could um, from overseas, really. Um, but yeah, I think we use. I'm using mostly warrior stuff now for you know sticks and gloves and helmets. That's just kind of you know at this level you just use whatever the team gives you. So what skates do you wear? Uh, I'm wearing CCMs at the moment. Jet yeah. speeds? No tax. Wow. But they're pretty. Yeah, they're pretty old. So I'm looking to get. Um, Got to get a new pair pretty soon here. So go ahead, Pat. Ask him the questions that we ask everybody. Well, we always got to ask, favorite place to eat in Danbury? Favorite place to eat in Danbury? You know, I actually don't live in Danbury. I'm out at the farmhouse, which is in Pauling, New York. So I don't spend as much time in Danbury as the other guys. Um, Trying to think. I mean, Mina's is good. We've been there a few times. Um, Other than that, I don't know what kind of places that are specific to Danbury. I'll go with Mina's. Yeah. What's something that you get, like, very uh, – maybe at this point you don't miss it anymore, but what's something that you, like, really miss from back home that's so much easier to get food? Um, I don't know about in terms of food and everything, just missing kind of my friends and stuff, family mostly. Uh, in terms of food, I'd say it's the opposite. There's actually a lot of good – good kind of chains and places over here that we don't have back home that i'll miss when i'm back home like chipotle or stuff like that i really enjoy over here but we don't have that back home so i typically would probably it's kind of the opposite i almost miss a lot of the american foods when i'm when i'm back home i wonder like what in a big country like australia like what do they have in place of chipotle like is there is there a taco bell or mexican chains uh yeah they have they have a few different kind of Mexican chains um and stuff like that they 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 have all the same fast food places you know McDonald's and yeah. all that but uh yeah those kind of other places they that's they've kind of just got a lot of their own um a lot of their own stuff really well I don't know man I think you've been having a pretty good season and you're a really poised player out there what I don't know what what do you what are you looking towards here in the last couple of games of the season as we as we wind it down. We're looking at, gosh, we're looking at four final games here. Last two weekends, this is your first professional season. How would you assess how it went? Uh, I mean, I think it's been, well, for me, it's been a pretty pretty turbulent season, I guess, playing for three different teams now. Um, I had kind of different experiences with all of them. But, um, you know, here with Danbury, 
I think the biggest thing for us um, is we, we just want to win out no matter what so that we can finish first in the league and kind of get that home ice for playoffs no matter what. That's kind of the biggest thing for us right now is, um, you know, I think we yeah, we already clinched the division, but, um, yeah, we want to win out so that so that no matter what come playoff time, whoever we play, um, you know, we have home ice because I think it's a big – it's a big advantage just in general in this league, but especially for us with, um, you know, with, with our rank in Danbury, it's, um, you know, obviously it's a big advantage playing there. So I think the biggest thing for us is to just, you know, try to win these next four games and um, and get some big momentum uh, heading into the playoffs. Jacob, I got to say, pretty awesome story. Uh, thank you for coming on, and, you know, we wish you the best of luck through these next few weeks leading into playoffs. Yeah, no worries, guys. Thanks for having me. Come on down Saturday, April 8th to the Actrix Lounge at Danbury Arena for the first ever live episode of Hattrick City. We have some very special guests that you do not want to miss. Once again, come on down to the Actrix Lounge on Saturday, April 8th for the first ever live episode of Hattrick City. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Hattrick City. I'm your host, DJ Patty Cake, as always, joined by my lovely co-host, DJ Uncle Matt. Today, we got on Matt Carancy current Mississippi Seawolf and obviously a former Danbury Whaler who was a part of the championship season. Matt, we're glad to have you here on Hattrick City. Oh, honored to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course. Matt Carancy, probably one of the most popular players in Danbury hockey history right up there. Um, Back after how many years were you off, Matt? How were you? Four years did you not play? Yeah. Um, my last season was, uh, 2017, 2018 with the Wolves. And, um, I planned on playing after that, but after a Cinderella season, we won the cup, um, as big underdogs. And I just, yeah, the thing is kind of went on and I just said, uh, yeah, that's it. I'm good. I'll go, you know, <laughs> I'll go out on top, I guess. Was that, was that the year that the, did Watertown close the rink the next year? I don't know. Um, I think that was the year. Two years before COVID really took flight, I think. Yeah, they they Watertown took one year off when there were some oh, renovations. Oh, okay, I didn't even know that. Forget what year that was, though. So I was just kind of wondering if it was then. But you mm. know, Matt, <clears throat> you and I actually go back a long way. Um, for those people who follow the cult of Danbury hockey closely, they know that I did once write a story about the Danbury Whalers for Penthouse Magazine. Carancy's <laughs> basically the star of the story. Um, <laughs> um, and that that was where we first met. And I first time I met him was like, I guess that was 2014. I don't even remember anymore. And it was, yeah. it was the winter. And you know, you know the dudes from Canada when it's freezing out and he like has no jacket on. He's just kind of wandering, <laughs> wandering the city with no jacket. And he's 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 on the IR and and like um Herm tells me to go meet him at two steps and there's RIP two steps downtown grill. Again, they closed again, by the way. Um uh, but, yeah. Yeah, they, they recently closed again. Um, but uh 
we go inside and Karansi's like holding court, like among like 20 people, just like listening to every word he says. It was like something out of guys and dolls or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but Matt, so that, that was a while back. Take us what I don't think I ever really got, or I, I don't remember is how did you end up first coming to Danbury? Oh boy. That's a great question. Uh, so, wow, I guess that would have been um, after uh, I got my, well, before visors were mandatory, believe it or not. It's how old I am. Uh, I was in Knoxville in uh, the SPHL after trickling all the way down from the American League with uh, the Hershey Bears. I went to camp that year and um, first game with Knoxville, second shift, wasn't wearing a visor and uh, got a high stick to my left eye. And long story short, I... Uh, detached my retina wow. um, got snipped shortly after that sent back home failed the physical to come back and play the following year and then when my eye fully healed which was almost two full years after that in 2010 I signed with the Whalers and um, yeah that was pretty much it I kind of fell in love with the city and uh, you know just so many great teammates came through there and then lucky enough in my third year with uh, the Whalers um, you know, we actually got it done and, and won the championship, which was which was pretty awesome. So that's kind of how it all started. And like w- when you got hurt that time and you took the time off, like what was who who told you about the team? Like who 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 was like your person that connected you to the Whalers? It was actually uh, my agent at the time, uh, George Cooney, um, who had uh, a couple guys that I worked out with back home that that played in the NHL. Um, recommended me to uh, Bruce Boudreaux actually was the original guy who gave me his number and said, talk to George. He's a good guy. And I, I didn't even think he would have, this guy deals with NHL guys. So when he told me about the whalers, like that was pretty caught off guard by that and surprised. But uh, yeah, George was a great guy and he did more for me than he really had to. And uh, that's pretty much how I got in touch with the whalers. And um, I signed a three game contract and uh, which is not unusual for a minor pro and, after the third game, they signed me for the year, and yeah, uh, that was it. Uh, really? That was in, yeah, that was in 2010, first year. 2010, yeah, yeah. Did you live over at the Crown Plaza back then? <laughs> I did. Yeah. What would like that? There's some. I think that place has also been uh, rightfully condemned or or whatever. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, tell me, did, did what? That's kind of like a legendary place in Danbury hockey history, the Crown Plaza, kind of in that second wave of the Whalers and stuff. Uh, there, there, there are stories of like six beds in one room. <laughs> uh, what, what went on there? Um, well, a, a lot of things that I probably can't talk about. But, um, <laughs> uh, it, it was pretty cool because, I mean, I, I don't know what went on in- after but when well, i was well, there a better um, question is a better question is what what do you uh <laughs> he says i don't know what i'm after <laughs> <laughs> a, a better question is um you know what do you remember about those early days in danbury like coming here kind of just being a young guy trying to get your feet on the ground uh i mean it, it was great when, when i came here um it you know I, I didn't really know what to expect and then you know, after I met the guys in the locker room and seeing like, you know, it was, it was run, everything was run really professionally. And it was, it was great on the ice, 
And I learned so much in my first two years. Like you, if you watch me play, you know, tapes from my rookie year with Danbury to my third year, it's night and day. And that's all because of my teammates and the coaching that I had. But then off the ice, like was just absolutely incredible. I mean, New York city is a train ride away, you know, Jersey's not that far. Um, and Danbury itself. I mean, it, it, there's just, there's, there's a lot to do more than meets the eye. And, uh, being a single guy there, we we had a lot of fun. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it was a blast. <laughs> Matt, tell us a little bit about getting adjusted kind of to the pro game. You had taken some years off. Was that always your ambition to be a pro or were you just kind of writing it out at first? What was your what was kind of your mindset? Um no, I mean I I was hellbent on on playing pro at uh, on some level and uh after I got cut from the American League and then the coast and then got injured the following year, I just I just basically said, you know, screw it. I'm going to put all my eggs in one basket. I'm going to do this at some point. I, I didn't really plan on how long it was going to be, but I was determined to do it at some point. And uh, just ending up with the Whalers by chance and then end up, you know, staying there and playing there for six years was incredible. And it just kind of snowballed, you know, year after year. I enjoyed it more and more. And, you know, guys that play minor pro know that. You know, if you do well, the older you get, you make a little bit, obviously, more money than you do when you're a rookie. So that obviously helps. But, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much how it went. And I enjoyed, you know, every every second of it along the way. Take us through kind of, you know, when you guys won that championship 10 years ago now, what sticks out in your mind about that team as a group? Um, That's a great question. I, I would say... Team toughness would be would would probably be the first thing if I'm thinking on ice. Um, you know, we we played a lot uh, a lot bigger than we really were. And uh, Joe Pace actually, who I you know obviously is my teammate this year, and uh, a guy that I battled with um, for pretty much my entire time in Danbury. I mean, we hated each other on the ice. We were mortal enemies. It, me and and Billy McCreary, the current coach of uh, the Hat Tricks, we you know we we were pretty big enemies as well. And um, the the one thing I think they'll both tell you is that we that championship team it was just team toughness. You know, like even the goal scorers were they weren't afraid to muck it up. They weren't afraid to go into those dirty areas. We had no you know perimeter players on that team, and I think that's one of the reasons why we were so successful. That. And cause we were so tight off the ice as well. Like there was, there's no one on that team that I wouldn't gladly go to dinner with. You know what I mean? And if I'm being honest, I can't say that for every other team that I've been on. And if you ask anyone else, I think they'll tell you the same thing. There's that one team that you're on that just, you know, it just, everything kind of comes together. And um, if you have the talent and if you're lucky enough, you get the bounces, you know, you might just be lucky enough to go all the way. And that's kind of uh, what happened that year. What about kind of moving on from there? You know, you you stuck around and were with the Titans, but what what ended up? Um, where did you end up when you you kind of moved on to? What I'm saying is, how did it end up when you moved on to Watertown? Uh, well, you know what, Danbury didn't have a team uh, at that point after the second year of the Titans. I think it was right. I think. Uh, there was no team in Danbury. So that was pretty disappointing for me because at that point, you got to remember at that point I had spent six seasons in Danbury and obviously wanted to come back. The one year that Danbury had a team that didn't play for them, things just didn't work out. Um, 
And so that's why I went to play for Espo in Watertown. And, you know, and Watertown's a really cool spot to play because of the fans and everything. But if, if there had been a team in Danbury um, after I won the cup in Watertown, I, there's a very good chance that I would have went back and not retired, even though I wanted to play in Europe. Um, but, you know, when I when I was retired and I heard that Danbury was getting a team back, I was really excited for you guys because I know the fans there and, and they deserve to have a hockey team. So um, I was really happy to hear that. And I, I would be lying to your face if I told you that, that I didn't, you know, consider coming back two, two years earlier than I did just to play in Danbury. But um, yeah, I, obviously I didn't. And uh, I guess it was just one of those things. I, I talked to a couple guys that were there and uh, I, I was just really happy that Danbury had hockey. And then two years later, I ended up coming back anyway. So. What did, what were you doing in the years where you weren't playing hockey, Matt? Uh, so uh, for three years, uh, two and a half years, sorry, uh, I was uh, directing manager at Pro Hockey Life. It's like a specialty retail store in uh, Canada. And um, after that, I was um, uh, senior supervisor at State Transportation International, which is another nine to five job, which was really cool. Um, great work atmosphere over there. And uh you know, I love the people that I work for. They took care of me really well. So what were you, you know, doing there? That was, uh, sorry. What did you do there? Oh, that was, there was a bunch of different stuff. It was like basically, um, a trucking company that ships everything as, as well as stores, uh, merchandise for various companies at our warehouse trucks come going to the U S uh, to Canada so um, it keeps you on your toes. And, you know, the fact that I like the guys, I really like the guys I worked for really made it that much more enjoyable. So uh, that was cool. But uh, it kind of just hit uh, hit a tipping point with me um, just because the one thing I wanted to do that I never, never pulled the trigger on was playing in Europe. And um, the opportunity oddly presented itself. Uh, and I started skating again and started skating with York University, actually, uh, in Toronto. And then I realized that I wasn't as horrific as I thought I would be after four years off. So that's kind of what, what started uh, to get the ball going in the right direction. And it, yeah, it kind of just snowballed from there. What I wanted to ask you was, um, now that you're back, <clears throat> you are another guy who basically appeared in the first season of the Federal Hockey League. Right. So... You know, for some of the newer fans, and it seems like hanging around Danbury, you'd be surprised. It does seem to be a lot of newer fans. There, there, there are plenty of people who've kind of seen the different changes and all the colors and 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 logos go, change. But um, there are right. a lot of people that weren't around in those early years, like you and I were, uh, from different yeah. perspectives. What's the biggest change that you've seen in the in the skill level and everything on the ice? Um, I guess that's a really good question. Um, I, I would probably say back when it first came around, you know, when I first met you, you and we, we, you remember, uh, the, you know, the old days with, you know, at, you know, teams like Aquasasne and, uh, right. Cape Cod and Broome County, it, it was definitely a tougher league. There's no doubt about that, especially, you know, there only being six teams or eight teams, depending on the year. It was a much tougher league. It was a um, It was an older league. Um, definitely an older league. So there was more experience. We had guys that were, you know, that had 
a lot more guys that played in the East Coast, playing in the league, guys that played in the IHL, the, you know, even guys in the UHL. Um, so it was an older league, more experienced league, and it was a tougher league. Now there's 10 teams. Um, it's a younger league, uh, maybe even a little faster. So it, it, there is definitely a different dynamic to it as opposed to, um, you know, even, you know, 10 years ago when we won the championship, right? So I, I would say those are probably the, the major uh, differences that, that stand out to me anyway. Tell us a little bit about the setup down there in, in Mississippi. Obviously, you were with Phil Esposito for a while. They made a change. Um, what's it like? You know, you, you took a long time off, and now you're in, you know, this basically a completely different environment, you know, down there on the Gulf Coast of of Mississippi. Yeah, uh, you're right about that, my friend. It is it is night and day. Um, well, I you know what? If I'm being honest... You know, not to toot my own horn, but I, I worked my ass off. I started training in May, and that's when I realized how hard I had to go just to get, you know, to get myself to a point where I could play at a competitive level again. And uh, I was originally um, playing in Belgium, and that fell through because of the import rule. And just as as fate had it, just as that was falling through, Espo calls me out of the blue. I've been retired for four years, so I think, you know, like, why why would he even think to call me? He's putting a team together in Mississippi. And he lets me know. He's like, Kranz, I got a team here. And he's like, you know, I'm, just in case you're interested. He has no idea I've been training or anything like that. And so I tell him. And I said, thanks anyway. But, you know, I'll be playing in Belgium this year. And then that falls through. So I basically call him back kind of like with my tail between my legs. And I'm like, hey, you um, you still got number 19 available? Mm. <laughs> and uh, he started, We, you know, we had a good laugh over that. And, yeah, that's pretty much how it took flight. And came down here. And it's, uh, you know, it's a great setup. Um, you know, off the ice is just, it's a dream living down here. Took a little bit of getting used to, I'm used to having my winters, you know, pretty cold, uh, with the exception, with the exception of playing in Louisiana, of course. Um, so it was definitely a change, uh, playing here in the winter, but I mean, it's great down here. They're didn't make the playoffs this year, but, um, I, I, I'd find it very hard to believe that a place like this in this hockey market wouldn't attract um, you know, the best of the best. So uh, the Seawolves are definitely going to have some pretty competitive teams in years to come. What's the vibe like around town? Like we, we hear that it's on the beach and stuff, but like nobody's reported back to us. What, what's the, what's the city and the town like? Uh, I mean, Biloxi's pretty cool uh, as a town. There's a, there's a lot of unique places. Uh, even, I mean, I'm from Toronto, so things are pretty, you know, in terms of rules and laws, it's pretty tight back home here. It's like the wild west and I absolutely <laughs> love it. You know, like it's, it, it's, it's great. Um, not only is it a carry state, so, you know, it, it, it's kind of like you, you walk in a restaurant, you see someone just rest their piece on the table and you're like, well, that's cool. You know what I mean? Like it just, it's common. You don't got to worry about shit like that. And you go into, uh, you're in downtown Biloxi and, you order a vodka seven or whatever you drink of choices. If you don't finish it, you just ask them for a to-go cup. Wow. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing, you know, and you just walk out in a, you know, a little plastic cup with your drink ready to go. And like back home, that's just not even a thought like that does, does not happen. So uh, not to mention Mardi Gras, which was something I actually got to check off my bucket list is pretty cool. That that's a whole nother story, but it, it's a different world down here for me. And I absolutely love it. I'm where, in my element. I think it's great. So where are you living? What's your living setup like? 
Uh, I, I live in an apartment uh, with a, uh, me and uh, two of my teammates, and uh, it's pretty nice, pretty spacious. Uh, the housing here for the players is actually pretty decent. Um, it, it was developed a little late, so in, in training camp, uh, guys were living in hotels until um, the residence was built and finished because they had just purchased it. So it was a little tight at the beginning of the season, especially for the rookies. But, um, yeah, but, you know, after that, um, it's pretty nice, pre- pretty decent setup. So uh, guys don't really have much to complain after that. Not to mention that, you know, you walk outside the Coliseum, literally right across the street is the beach. So you can't, you can't really complain <laughs> when you got some, you know, a setup like that going on. Exactly. And, you know, I kind of wanted to ask, what was like the feel when you first started playing? Like, cause you hadn't played in the league for, you know, four or so years. What, what did you kind of notice immediately that was just different? Um, I would probably say, I know, I don't know if it's because the league has gotten faster or if it was just me not playing hockey for four years, but I, you know, I came into camp, I was in, I was in really good shape. I mean, as good a shape as you can be in for a 36 year old. And I did notice the speed right away. And, yeah. um, you know, like, like I said earlier, that's something that not that it was a slow league before 10 or so years ago, because it certainly wasn't. But like I said, guys were a little bigger back then, they had more experience. Um, it was tougher. And I feel like now, if you're a smaller guy in the league now, you'd have no problem making it uh, because it's just more geared. Even the SPHL, I feel like, you know, watching games there, same thing is just, you know, you could, the speed stands out more so than it did before. And um, I think that's, that's probably the thing that I noticed first more so than anything would, would probably be, you know, that the game is still, still fast and it's not maybe as uh, well, certainly not as, you know, as tough as it was, but if you can't, if you can't skate, if you can't keep up, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. You're, you know, you're not going to have a spot for long. Exactly. And, you know, a few weeks back, you guys came, played us here in Danbury, what was it like coming back to Danbury after, you know, so many years, you know, were there any emotions kind of going through your mind of, wow, it's, it's been a while. It's like, you kind of felt like home possibly. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. I'd be lying if I said, if I didn't have that, um, it, it felt uh, definitely felt a little strange. And, um, you know, what, once I got on the ice, just, just going out and, turning right onto the ice to go to warm up in the other end of the ice felt strange right away. <laughs> so right in warmups, I was kind of like, you know, had my egg scrambled a little bit, very, very strange feeling. And, uh, you know, I, after that, it just, it's quick, it's brief. And then it, you just click in, you're like, it's, it's another game time to zone in and, you know, go play a hockey game. And, uh, you know, um, didn't expect anything less, uh, from the fans. They were, you know, uh, with the exception of, uh, you know, a few fans in section 102 that I know really well, you know, they, the, the rest were, were pretty ruthless and um, <laughs> that's what they're known for, you know, and I respect that. I'd expect nothing less. I didn't take it personal at all. Even if they did, I didn't. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it, it was really cool to, uh, uh, to come back and play there. And yeah, it was a really good experience. You know what I wanted to ask you, Maddie, man, um, you, came back last season for the ring of honor uh kind of hall of fame ceremony thing and i could almost see in your eyes that um that you weren't done like you i think you really it looked like you were looking at a steak or something man like you know you were you were really <laughs> ready to, 
you were really ready to get at it again. And I w- was it running through your mind that night that like it th- this all might have been a little premature. Like you you had some gas left in the tank. Well, I I, I guess I don't have as good as poker face as I thought, Maddie. So thanks for that. Yeah, but, uh, you're. You're absolutely right. Um, after that night, I remember going back to my hotel room and uh, I, I, I called my grandfather on the phone because he watched it. And yeah, we talked a little bit and I I had already been thinking about that before. But after that, it definitely hit me. You're 100 percent dead on balls accurate with that one, buddy. It well, definitely hit I've me after there, that. You know, I've kind of been there with my own thing. And it's like, well, you know, I'm, you know. I, I could probably still do this if I if I wanted to, you know, uh, type of it looked right. like that was going through your your mind. It, it it was, and you know, talking to a few people, uh, you know, old friends that I had there, um, you know, I, I I know I remember talking to Nosy a little bit and, and Brownie as well, and, and I got to uh, uh, meet the Galantes for a second time, and you know, talk to them and and a few other people there, and uh, we're all asking me about you know my past and and stuff like that, and. And, and what I was doing at the time. And uh, yeah, it, it definitely got me thinking, you know, that um, I think I, I wasn't sure, but I'm like, I think, I think I'd still be able to do this if I really wanted to. And then when I got back home, um, winter turns into summer and then, you know, you have, you go out and you skate with some guys and uh, you don't expect to be very good. And then you're like, you know what? I was nowhere near as, as bad as I thought I would be. And that kind of, you know, it's a mental thing, right? And it kind of snowballs from there. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much, that's pretty much what happened. So it definitely did have, uh, did have an effect on me coming back for sure. And, you know, just, just kind of as an aside, was there any reason you didn't get into any type of senior hockey in the last few years? Is that, that just not your thing or. You know what? I'm, I'm the kind of guy that, you know, when I'm done with something, I'm done and I don't look back, you know, I'm um, not a rear view mirror uh, type of guy. So until once until, I hung them up, I, I, I wanted nothing to do with it. Sorry. Until that one night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, even my buddies couldn't even get me to play men's league. Like I, I literally hadn't skated for years and I got back on the ice just to go and make some extra side cash uh, work in a hockey school and then working as a shooter at a at a goalie school and um, it wasn't much but it was just something to do for a, a little bit of cash and it was fun right getting back on the ice minimal skating so um, yeah I mean I even stopped watching hockey for a bit believe it or not after um, after I retired and it wasn't intentional I just kind of kind of lost interest in it I would watch you know only Red Wing games. That's it. And anyone that knows me will tell you, I, I would watch any, any hockey game at any point. So it's weird how that, how that kind of works. It's like when you're fed up or you had enough, you just kind of want to shut it out. You have no interest in it as a whole. And then it just comes, <laughs> it comes roaring back to life when you least expect it. So do you, do you think you're going to get into coaching after this or what, what's your plan, man? Well, you know, I said no the first time and I didn't. I was, I had a, a few offers to kind of get into coaching and, you know, in, in the Toronto area, even, even if you're not coaching AAA, you can make pretty good money as a side job. And it's just, it's not something I would do to collect a paycheck. You gotta, you gotta be invested. You got your heart's gotta be in it, or it's not something that you should do. Um, so I'm going to say no, because I, I, I don't see myself doing that, but I've been wrong before. Yeah. Um, so I, I really don't know, but the way I feel now, after playing, you know, I'll play one more year next year and that'll be it. I, I doubt that I'll get into coaching. 
but like I said, you never know. So you think you're going back to Mississippi? No, uh, I, I won't be coming back here. I, I'm, I'm going to definitely play uh, one year in Europe and um, see how that goes. And maybe a second year after that, um, if not one more year, one more year for sure. And then, you know, um, we'll see where it goes from there. But I know that uh, I really don't, I don't got too many years left in me. So I, I got to make the most of, of what's left. That's for sure. And, you know, just as we kind of start to wrap things up here, um, given you were on that championship team back in 2013, what advice would you give to this current Hattricks team that's trying to repeat history? Um, I would, I, I mean, playing against them four times this year, they definitely have what it takes to win. Um, it's not going to be easy because there are, you know, definitely other talented teams in the league. But my, my advice to them would be, play the same way at home as you or sorry, play the same way on the road as you do at home. They play bigger than they are. And that's, that was the case for every Danbury team I've ever played on. Um, that just comes with the culture of, of Danbury hockey. You know, it, it, they always have a tough, but talented team. And, you know, that would be my advice to those guys would be, you know, play big on the road because at home, they're not an easy team to play against. Anyone that disagrees with that is just lying to themselves and lying to whoever they're talking to. So that would be my, my number one advice. Um, anything else I have to say, they probably already know. So um, I, I, me personally, uh, I think they got a, a really good shot at a ring this year. And that's not just because I want to see them win it. That's the truth. I wouldn't say it if I didn't believe it. Um, but like I said, they're going to have their work cut out for them because they have – uh, some pretty formidable opponents in, you know, Columbus and Carolina. And, um, you know, even Elmira has been looking really good lately and bingo as well. So it's not, it's not going to be easy. It never is, but they definitely have what it takes to win. That's for sure. Matt, once again, it's been a pleasure having you on, um, you know, look forward to seeing you kind of finish out the season and hopefully you get a little touch of Europe there. Um, also congratulations on having 300 pro games. Congratulations, buddy. Yeah, thanks, guys. I, I really appreciate appreciate that. It, it means a lot. Thank you very much. Of course. And, um, yeah. Take care, Maddie. Good luck. We'll hope to see you again soon. Yes, sir. You got it. Thanks again for having me on, guys. Uh, really enjoyed it. Had a great time. Thank you. Come on down Saturday, April 8th to the Xtrix Lounge at Danbury Arena for the first ever live episode of Hattrick City. We have some very special guests that you do not want to miss. Once again, come on down to the Xtrix Lounge on Saturday, April 8th for the first ever live episode of Hattrick City. Hattrick City.